2022 season comes to a bitter close for Kansas State as the Alabama Crimson Tide hammer the Wildcats in the 89th edition of the Sugar Bowl 45 to 20, the final from the Superdome in New Orleans. Alabama wraps up its season with a final record of 11 and 2. The loss drops Kansas State to 10 and 4 overall to close out its 2022 campaign. This is the College and Kimball Podcast. I am your host Jeff Burkhart. It has been a minute since I've had a chance to record one of these. The holidays are obviously a busy time for all of us. I am certainly not impervious to that with my wife and our two kids, and our son celebrates his birthday in late December as well. So we're typically confronted with the proposition of three to four Christmas gatherings and a birthday at minimum during the holidays. Uh, This year, we were also fortunate to battle some horrible strain of the flu in the days leading up to and following Christmas. So... With all those factors at play, unfortunately, it just was not in the cards for me to connect with Justin to get a preview recorded and pushed out ahead of the Sugar Bowl. So my apologies to our listeners on that front. That all being said, though, I certainly do want to wish you and yours a happy new year. Those of you who are listening who were able to make the trek down to New Orleans, I hope you guys enjoyed yourselves. This was obviously a new bowl destination for the Kansas State football program. Not surprisingly, K-State fans turned out in, in waves and made their presence known on Bourbon Street and in the French Quarter in the days leading up to this matchup against Alabama. I know the game did not play out the way any of us wanted to, but there's still plenty of positives to take away just from the season overall. And I think also this game sent a pretty powerful message to Kansas State, the program uh, collectively. And I'll talk about the game here for for a moment, but I really do want to focus more so on the macro takeaways from this one. Um, the buildup to this game w- was was very similar um, in a couple of ways to, to what I remember uh, being in Phoenix for the Fiesta Bowl uh, almost 10 years ago now when K-State squared off against Oregon. And a lot of the chatter that I heard from Kansas State fans in the days leading up to that game was that Chip Kelly was on his way to the NFL. Oregon has been in four straight BCS games. They're totally mentally checked out. They could not care less about playing little old K-State and the Wildcats. We're, we're going to be more invested and have a chance to go and win that game, finish that year 12-1, and one, have the best team in program history, and likely be ranked in the top five in the final poll. And uh, DeAnthony Thomas put a very quick and abrupt end to that sentiment with the opening kick return for a touchdown for Oregon. I'll never forget Brad Nessler's call of that, despite the fact that I was actually in the stadium for that one. Um, Going back and watching it, man, it was just a a gut punch to start that game off. Uh, And uh, honestly, that the kick return didn't hurt as much as the two point conversion did. I just remember feeling like K-State was just going to be perpetually playing catch up. um, And that's ultimately when it ended up happening in that game. And, the, the chatter surrounding this matchup against Alabama w- was similar. Um, I, I was at a pre-Sugar Bowl party at a friend's house in Overland Park, and uh, a lot of the people that I had talked to didn't really think Alabama w- was going to be invested in this one either. It's a, a national championship or bust program. Nick Saban and his staff could not care less about this one. 
the the players were not going to be into it either again we were doing a lot of of selling let's say trying to convince ourselves that alabama was not going to be up to snuff for this one and that kansas state was going to be able to go in and and punch the tide in the face and and steal this game i'll be honest I, i never once felt great about kansas state's chances going into this ball game and that was when i was operating under the assumption that will anderson and bryce young were going to be opting out and when those two said that they were going to play i just felt like the wildcats were going to be in for a long afternoon and unfortunately that's what ended up coming to pass in this one i'll say this much and i won't spend a whole lot of time on this talking point i've College football is my favorite sport. It is by far the one I invest the most time in in terms of reading uh, about other programs outside of Kansas State, listening to national podcasts and shows and everything in between. The the way you hear analysts describe and talk about Alabama, it's just this this machine. And Nick Saban is the CEO of this soulless corporation that is just – spending an obscene amount of time and energy in in recruiting because they do know that is the currency in college football. And if you want to be an elite program that is perpetually in the hunt for a national championship, there is a requisite amount of talent that you need to bring in year in and year out. And they know that they have the NIL arm and the financial resources with their boosters to, to land top recruiting classes on an annual basis. And, because of that, there is this outlandish standard of every year being 15-0. and 0. SEC championship means absolutely nothing. Did you win in your semifinal and did you beat Ohio State or Georgia or whoever in the national championship game? That's, that is the standard there. And it, it was weirdly humanizing to have those two guys say, you know what? This game might not mean much to the everyday Alabama fan, but I care about my teammates, my program, and I want to go out and lace it up one more time, even if this winning this game might not have the lasting impact on the program that, that fans want and, and might not leave the indelible mark of a national championship. That might not be my lasting legacy, but I still want to play. Props to those guys, again, for making that sacrifice, uh, knowing that they could have potentially severely damaged their NFL draft stock. And from the Kansas State perspective, though, I I know I mentioned I I never felt great about our guys' chances in this one. But in the same breath, I had that thought in the back of my mind, well, if we're somehow, someway able to Snyder 2.0 this, where the guys get out gained by 173 yards, but we're plus three in turnovers and we dominate in special teams and maybe have a non-offensive touchdown and we're able to scratch out a a 30 to 27 type of victory. What an accomplishment that would be. And to say that you did it against a full strength Alabama, a former Heisman winner in Bryce Young, a team that was in the national championship just one year ago, what a feather in the cap that would have been for Chris Kleiman and company. Uh, Unfortunately, we all know what ended up happening in this contest, but that, that did underscore that this program, uh, in terms of Kansas State's program, is still a ways away from, from winning this type of a game. 
and, and I'll expand more on that towards the end when we get into some of the, the larger talking points. I do want to take a few minutes here to talk about the game that was. Um, I'll start by saying I don't think intimidation was a factor in this ball game. If you are scared of Alabama, it's not going to manifest in the third quarter. It's going to happen the second you get off the bus. And Kansas State proved that not only was it unafraid of the tide, but that it was very much willing to run up and punch Alabama in the face in this ball game. We saw the Wildcats build the 10 to nothing advantage. Will Howard and company being patient in the passing game, taking all those underneath throws that Pete Golding's defense was giving to him. Deuce Vaughn busting the 88-yard touchdown run to give K-State the 10 to nothing advantage early on in this one. Uh, as I said, the Wildcats were just manufacturing offense, and it wasn't looking like it was any kind of painstaking effort to do so. K-State was just being very deliberate in how it attacked, and, and they were taking all of those shallow throws. They were turning those upfield and making three to four yard completions, eight to 10 yard gains. And I, I liked what I saw and they exploited the fact that Pete Golding was, was conservative early on in this ball game, just trusting that Jordan battle and McKinstry and all the other defensive backs were just going to be able to, to use their closing speed and their athleticism to, to knock down K state receivers after short completions. And they weren't worried about Cade Warner and company really taking the top off of this defense and K-State took advantage of that. Uh, defensively, I thought the Wildcats were keyed in. Uh, they 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 moved well in space. Yes, you have the coverage bust on a play that, quite frankly, should have been a touchdown if Bryce Young actually puts the ball in the right spot. But you're the beneficiary uh, of a misfire. Uh, teams are going to make mistakes, and K-State was fortunate enough to not be burned on that play. And as I said, uh, the game had about a, a, as auspicious a beginning as you possibly could have asked for. And... I, I know a lot of people are, are going to point to the fourth down misfire on the goal to go play when Will Howard missed Ben Sinnott on the rollout uh, right at the goal line. I, I don't look at that as much as I do the third and 10 when K-State's up 10 to nothing with a chance to get Alabama off the field and get the ball back with a chance to go up three scores. That to me was kind of the play that woke up the tide uh, and Bryce Young credit to him dude stood in the pocket made a tough throw to Jameer Gibbs turned it upfield and turned that into a 60-yard completion Alabama scored a few plays later and all of a sudden it's 10 to 7 K-State immediately goes three and out then Alabama responds with another touchdown and then this game all of a sudden uh, one in which the Wildcats feel like they're pretty firmly in control of has all of a sudden swung back all the momentum on the uh, on the side of Alabama now, um, K-State was not phased. Uh, I'll say that much. K-State responded after going down 14 to 10. Will Howard and company uh, had a, a just an absolute saga of a drive, moving the ball down the field and making it, uh, making Alabama sweat it out. Uh, K-State was moving the ball on that 18-play drive where they got down inside the Alabama red zone and got down all the way to the two. Uh, yes, you are the beneficiary of a, a third down PI call, but you also have a couple of fourth down conversions in there. K-State was being aggressive. It knew it needed to be aggressive and assertive in that uh, particular point in the game. And the Wildcats, uh, it was honestly going about as well to your script as you po could have possibly asked for. You have this drive that starts at the uh, 11 minute mark in the second quarter. 11:33 to be precise, and, and you just chew up over 10 minutes a clock, and it looks like you're going to go up 
17 to 14, you're going to potentially take a three-point lead into your locker room, and you're going to be in this thing. And that that throw to to Senate was it was going to be tough, regardless uh, for him to make that catch. I felt like his momentum was taking him out of the end zone, and it was going to be a tough play for him to make the grab, contort the body, and get the ball to break the goal line. Um, and get that touchdown. Not saying he couldn't have done it. He's he's proven time and time again that he's he's athletic. He's made a number of contributions in the passing game this year. Um, it, it was it was tough for K State to not get that score right before half. But honestly, giving up the 98 yard touchdown drive uh, in just 51 seconds was kind of the backbreaker for me. Um, K-State going for the onside to start the third quarter. I, I have no problem with that at all. In, in a way, it almost seemed too predictable because I think the coaches knew that that Alabama at this point, they, they've manufactured three consecutive touchdown drives and it's looked pretty easy for them in doing so. You need to steal a possession. You're already down two scores as it is. Why not roll the dice with Ty Zentner kicking a wobbly one and hoping that you you find a way to recover it? Unfortunately, that, that doesn't end up occurring. Alabama starts that drive in plus territory at the K-State 46. They score in three plays. Will Howard on, on the Wildcats opening possession of the second half throws a pick on a third down play uh, with Brian Branch making an interception there. And, and then all of a sudden this game that was so tight early and, and it looked like one in which K-State was going to absolutely have a a chance to, to be in going into the, the fourth quarter. This game has just spiraled completely out of control. Now, as I said, I, I I didn't feel great at any point leading up to the game. I didn't feel great at any point during the game. Um, I I felt like the the dam was going to break at some point. In Alabama, I think the switch kind of flipped after they got that big completion to Jameer Gibbs in that drive where they cut K State's lead down to ten to seven. I think. They, key, they locked in there on really on both sides of the ball. Like I said, that marathon drive that K-State had that ate up 10 minutes and 32 seconds. That was an 18-play drive, eating up 73 yards. But that, again, was kind of showing you how much more challenging it was for K-State to gain the yards. And then in the second half, it's just a whole lot of nothing. There's a, there's a period after K-State goes up. 10 to nothing. The Wildcats next nine drives, they only manufacture three points. It, it was just tough sledding for, for this K-State offense after that point in time. Uh, Alabama got very uh, aggressive and, and in your face in the secondary. K-State's receivers weren't really able to, to separate at the line of scrimmage and get open down the field. And even those underneath throws that K-State was hitting on early in the ball game, those throws were getting taken away. Will Howard was just 7 of 16 in, in the final two quarters of play. K-State only manufactured 229 yards of offense after the first quarter. 95 of those came in garbage time. Uh, garbage time per the S&P that, that, that kicks in when the margin of, uh, of, of the game is 20 points or more in the fourth quarter. K-State special teams, unfortunately, unable to make up for ground loss during the course of this game. I know we, as Wildcat fans, typically go into games, especially ones in which we know there's a pretty decisive talent disadvantage. We're always looking to those kick return units, the punt return units to deliver 
a big return, to block a kick, to do something, to deliver some sort of big pendulum swinging play that gets momentum back on K-State's side. And the Wildcats just were never the beneficiary of such a play in this game against Alabama. Frankly, I thought the Tide won won that phase of the game pretty handily as well. I, I couldn't help but be impressed with their their kick coverage units. Man, the, the, the team speed is, is something that K-State just doesn't see in the Big 12. The, those guys that they had flying down the field, knocking down Phillip Brooks or Malik Knowles, shy of the 20 on a couple of occasions, that was that was pretty impressive to watch. And and I, I don't have any beef with Malik or, or Brooks trying to take one out early on, especially to get some momentum going. You have to play with a certain level of hubris when you're a returner because you're going into that play just thinking, if I could just hit the seam, this can be a touchdown. And Alabama closed those lanes up pretty quickly and didn't really allow K-State's return game to play any sort of factor in this ball game. And and honestly, I, I think we all know the path to victory for K-State was very narrow and a, a non-offensive score, a special team score was likely going to be incorporated into that formula in K-State's path to a victory. And unfortunately, as I said, the Wildcats just never got that, that big momentum shifting play from their specials. Now, I, I want to pivot here and talk about individual performers for, for just a few moments uh, to kind of wrap up game discussion. Uh, I'll start with Will Howard, and I just want to preface this by saying it, it's not meant to be critical of him because I know he has made such marked improvement in, in so many different areas uh, of his game, pre-snap and post-snap read, ball placement, going through progressions. He is a night and day different quarterback than the kid that we saw as a freshman in 20 and as a sophomore in 21. That all being said, I I was a little worried that the bill might be coming due against Alabama when I go back and look at the numbers that he had generated during the course of this season in the competition. Baylor was 61st in defensive S&P, Oklahoma State 70th, Kansas 108th, West Virginia 101st. Uh, TC was 31st, and frankly, I think you could make a pretty compelling argument that his best performance of the season uh, was likely that game against TCU in Fort Worth, kind of, again, weighting production against the quality of opponent there. Uh, TCU did a better job bottling him up in the rematch in the Big 12 championship game, but K-State came out on top, so all is well that ends well on that front. But Alabama, again, is just a different animal, and they limited him to 18 of 35 for 210 yards and even six yards an attempt. That's a season low. Uh, again, he came into this game uh, having tossed 15 touchdowns against two interceptions. He throws two interceptions in this ball game, no touchdown passes. And I, I think that in a way, you might actually be happy you got this type of a performance because not to at all impugn his work effort or work ethic, I should say. Um, it, it's hard to ask yourself, what do I need to be doing better when I'm going out every single week, throwing for 250 yards, throwing three touchdowns, and we're winning games? What can I be doing better within the construct of the offense? Um, 
I think this game gives you that data point and it gives you things to focus on going into the off season here. Um, I, I have no doubt that Will will take that. It's a big opportunity to grow and, and move forward in his development as a quarterback. Um, like I said, this is, this is a game that is going to be a, a playoff quarterfinal in a couple of years. And you see now what you need to do, how sharp you need to be, how you need to execute to win this type of a game. Like I said, I, I'm in a, in a weird way, I, I was almost happy to see this type of an outing. Would I have loved to have seen Will Howard ball out against Alabama? Yes, uh, I would have loved to have seen him throw for 345 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, and see K-State win the Sugar Bowl. I would have much rather loved to have seen that. But you can also learn in defeat. And that's the way that I, I tend to parse this uh, from his perspective. And like I said, I, I think this is going to serve as a good opportunity for him to, to grow heading into the offseason. Uh, I, I do have to mention Deuce uh, for what will be one last time. And uh, this comes on the heels of him announcing on uh, Monday that he is going to be declaring for the NFL draft and forgoing his final year of eligibility. Deuce goes over 100 in this one, has 133 yards, has the big 88-yard touchdown run. Pretty cool feather in the cap to say that you have the longest run against a Nick Saban-coached team. Uh, In the same breath, though, just purely in the context of the game, uh, Deuce's other 21 carries outside of that 88-yarder only averaged out to 2.14 yards per carry. So Bama, uh, again, they, they adjusted and they started fitting the run much better, sealing up those lanes and didn't really allow Deuce to to do much of anything out at once after he busted that long one early on in the first quarter. So credit to them on that front. But uh, I, I, I don't want to spend too much time harping on that when – we, we need to, to give him his due. Uh, one of the most illustrious careers uh, in Kansas State history. He finishes the season with 1,558 yards, uh, third most uh, single season yards in school history. Uh, goes over 100 yards for the ninth time this season. Uh, also, that 88-yard uh, run proves to be the longest in his career as well. Uh, pretty cool, like I said, accomplishment on that front as well. Um, He's going to be missed, and uh, I'm just very grateful as a K-State fan that I got to see him play. Uh, I know I've said countless times how I I hated myself as a uh, or looking back at my teenage self, I hated the fact that I didn't appreciate how electrifying Darren Sproles was and how lethal he was at the running back position, and to to more or less be granted or be gifted uh, another Darren Sproles. Uh, is pretty awesome, and it, it was great to see his career at K-State uh, culminate with a, a conference championship, uh, a spot in a New Year's Six Bowl game, and, and all the other accolades that he has picked up, um, all of his all-conference honors, his, his AP recognitions, and all the other outlets that have given him first and second team All-American billing. Like He, he deserves each and every one of those. Um, I can't say enough about him, uh, the work ethic that he has, the effort that he brought uh, day in and day out. Uh, you hear so much heap of praise heaped on him for his, how he practices, how he prepares, how he takes care of himself. 
uh, again, just a, a, a consummate professional in that sense. And a guy that I, I certainly hope has a, a lengthy NFL career, very much deserving uh, of that. And I know he's going to be ready for, for the draft. And I, I, I would love nothing more than to see the Chiefs take a chance on him, although they do seem to be pretty well set at the running back position here for the moment uh, with Pacheco and McKinnon. But uh, we'll see what happens. Who knows? Who knows? I, I, I can't wait to see where Deuce goes uh, in the NFL draft. And, and he's going to be a guy, I think, who which whichever organization lands him is going to be very, very happy uh, with the not only the player but with the person as well. Uh, again, just have, I've heard nothing but great things about him, his character, and everything in between. And I'll just say uh, one last time, uh, he he will be missed. Uh, I certainly uh, appreciate the fact that we got to watch him for for three years. I know some fans might be a little frustrated that uh, he's foregoing another season of eligibility, uh, but I, I totally understand it. Um, as the adage goes, if you're a running back, don't take hits for free. And uh, I totally get it. And uh, I don't know if his stock can get a whole lot higher. And, and sadly, the other thing is, too, he's he's not going to grow. He's not going to grow. And, and I, I doubt he gets a whole lot stronger than than where he is right now. So I, I think the, the time is right for him to take that next step in his career and certainly wish him well as he uh, he departs Manhattan as one of the most decorated running backs in school history. Kind of a difficult pivot here for me to talk about Adrian now, but I did want to mention him for for just a moment. Uh, first off, great to see him get back and, and make a couple of plays for Kansas State in his his final game as college quarterback. Um, I don't know if that injury that he sustained way back when is still kind of nagging on him. That first carry that he had where he picked up eight yards. Uh, I thought he had a pretty decent sized hole and looked like the type of play that if we were talking about Adrian early in the season, he would have busted that thing for 15 to 20 yards. Uh, now, some of this might just be the closing speed of Alabama secondary, but uh, looked like he had a little bit of trouble getting up to first or getting up to second and third gear there. But uh, in any event, uh, I certainly thank him for his contributions to the K-State program. I, I think, uh, again, it's great to always have transfer success stories and uh, I, I hate sounding selfish talking about it in the context of K-State but he's obviously exhausted his eligibility uh, and is going to be going on to bigger and better things in his life and I think though uh, what he did for K-State just this season uh, is is really monumental because whenever you can bring somebody in and not just only have a success story but have it at the quarterback position, I think that's going to be pretty meaningful. Even though we we all feel like we're pretty well set at that spot for the foreseeable future, uh, I think that'll be something that the staff can can still spin uh, in future years. Uh, whenever that time may come, if they do need to dip into the portal to get a quarterback or if they need to get in there to get a, a transfer to bring in somebody for depth. I think Adrian's success story will certainly be one that they they leverage in that respect. And I, I, again, I I thank Adrian for everything that he gave to K State and helping spearhead that five and one start to the season. Uh, having been in Norman to watch that game in person when K State took down the Sooners, that's honestly that's going to be one of my all time favorites, uh, really till the day I die. I, I can't imagine uh, witnessing a, a better game in person and just a road warrior type effort that we got. Uh, not only from from him, but the team as a whole. Uh, that's going to be one of my favorite all-time K-State games, no doubt about that. And I know I'm a little that maybe jades my perspective a little bit, but I, I still think that is was a great moment in K-State football history, and he was a a large part 
of that victory that the Wildcats picked up against a, a top 10 Oklahoma team on the road. So big thanks to, to Adrian as he wraps up his college career and his K-State career. Um, I said it was going to be difficult to transition from talking about Deuce to talking about Adrian, and this is perhaps going to be even more challenging now to, to talk about some of the guys on defense, but I did want to to point out a couple of things on that front. Uh, first and foremost, I, I think they they will all, to a man, admit it was not a banner day by any stretch, giving up 496 yards, nine yards per play on just 55 snaps. Uh, they all know that they can do better. Klanderman's group knows it's very much capable of doing better. Um, I, I think you need to give a lot of credit to Alabama. Uh, again, they were very well prepared and, and understood K-State's playmakers. Um, did you hear anything from Austin Moore? Did you hear anything from King Felix? Did you hear anything from Julius Brents or, or Daniel Green? Really outside of Daniel Green's one sack uh, early on in this ball game. The guys who have been leading the charge all year long for this K-State defense were, were pretty well neutralized. And, and again, that's a credit to Bryce Young as well. Uh, they, they knew how to go about attacking this K-State defense. He showed you why he won a Heisman a year ago, uh, going 15 of 21 for 321 yards, five touchdowns and no picks. And he also showed you why he's going to be one of the top quarterbacks taken off the board uh, this, this coming NFL draft here in 23. So I, I, I know nobody wants to hear me praise Alabama, but they, they, they knew K-State's deficiencies. They, they knew tendencies and they were able to, to neutralize again, all the major players on, on the defensive side of the ball for K-State. I will very quickly shout out B.J. Payne. Uh, he leads K-State in tackles in the season finale here against Alabama with 10 stops, has a sack as well. Very excited to see the progression he makes during the offseason, uh, add a little bit of muscle, I'm sure, uh, and just give him another year to to better digest and understand this this 3-3 stack and, and how this defense operates. I think he's going to be a guy who, dare I say, will be in contention for all Big 12 honors as soon as next season. Um, I, I very much liked what I saw of him to close out uh, this year as he stepped in for all the injuries in the secondary. Um, he's going to be a stud. Uh, I already like his frame and what he can bring to the table in terms of run support. Um, I just think he needs a little bit more seasoning, and, and he'll be uh, an all Big 12 caliber performer before too long. Uh, other top tacklers for K-State in this game uh, – Drake Cheatham with nine stops for the Cats. Uh, Josh Hayes with seven to close out his college career. Again, it's never great when your top three tacklers are defensive backs, but that, like I said, you, you just have to give credit to Alabama for for the game plan that they employed on the offensive side of the ball, knowing how to exploit some of those mismatches in the secondary and, and God, to me, it was terrifying. I remember listening to an interview leading up to this game uh, from a draft scout who said, this is the first time in a long time where Alabama has not had a quote draftable wide receiver. And I'm sitting here watching guys like Burton and Brooks and McClellan and Latu, all these dudes making all these plays. And I'm just really none of them. <laughs> but again, that just kind of goes to show you there there's, there's a, a stockpile uh, of talent in Tuscaloosa, and that's 
really about as good a point of, as any to kind of transition out of this and kind of talk about some of the macro points here. Um, I know K-State fans are going to hate to hear me bring this point up one more time, but I, I really do need to hammer it home. Alabama has a level of roster talent that Kansas State, frankly, just does not see in the Big 12. That's not a poor reflection of Chris Kleiman. That's just the reality. And that's even taking into account the blue blood programs that are Texas and Oklahoma that routinely bring in top 10 type recruiting classes on an annual basis. If you look at what those two have put into the league over the last three draft classes compared to Alabama, it's no comparison. Texas has only had eight guys taken the last three years. No guys in this last draft class. Oklahoma's had 16, just two first round selections. Alabama has more than those two combined. 26 draft picks, 12 first round picks. Nick Saban is one of the greatest in the history of college football, not just because he acquires the talent, but because that program does develop it and and ultimately refine it and turn it into a polished product that will be taken in one of the early rounds of whatever NFL draft class. There's no shame in acknowledging that. And what sucks is you cannot overcome that level of talent with intangibles and coaching acumen. I I got into some arguments with folks about that. And it's Alabama is just too good at at too many different points. And especially in the coaching department, that's honestly where Alabama, the decided difference is found comparing Alabama to USC. We saw USC's trash fire of a defense not able to hold on to a 15-point lead with four minutes left to go against Tulane. And we saw them just get trucked in the Pac-12 title game. You know, you've got a Heisman Trophy winner in Caleb Williams who's going out there throwing for 350 yards and four touchdowns every week. And he knows that he has to score 45 points and hope and pray that his defense doesn't give up 46 like it did against Tulane. Alabama doesn't have that problem. They are a machine. And when the coaching acumen and the discipline are matched sideline for sideline, sadly, that's when the Jimmy's and the Joe's discrepancy becomes very noticeable. And and when you look at what Alabama has brought in over the last four years, it's tough to stack up against Kate, or it's tough for K-State to stack up against it. Alabama had the second best class last year for the 24-7 composite, the top class in 21, the second best class in 20, and the top class in 2019. By comparison, K-State had the 63rd best class this past year, 56th and 21, 51st and 20, and 63rd and 19. That's a pretty big chasm. And, and as I said, it, it's you, you, you can't defeat that with intangibles and and coaching, like I said, coaching acumen. That holds up for what, you know, the first scripted drive, the first quarter, the Jimmys and the Joes typically went out. Now, I, I say all this to say Chris Kleiman and his staff with this group that's going to be coming in this next year, they are taking the first necessary and major step toward constructing a roster that is capable of 
beating a team the caliber of Alabama. And I know that's not what a lot of folks want to hear because we're this, especially in sports, a culture of instant gratification. And I know there's also a lot of, there's a cross-section of K-State fans that are Chiefs fans that have had their brains broken by the fact that Patrick Mahomes goes out every week and throws for 300 yards and three touchdowns and they win every single game and they still somehow, some way aren't satisfied. And we want everything right now. And, and unfortunately, it just doesn't work that way in college football recruiting. But this incoming class is going to be the first big step. Trey Spivey, Andre Davis, Avery Johnson, obviously, Will Ancio, Andrew Metzger, not to mention a guy like Asa Newsom. There are pieces in there. Highly sought after pieces that K-State defeated a lot of Power 5 programs to get. That's going to be the first block. And as I said, this is not to denigrate Chris Kleiman and his staff. They've had very unique circumstances to deal with in terms of recruiting with the last couple of years in terms of dealing with COVID restrictions and and really just thinking about his, his first class in 19, the scramble class where it ranked and then having to deal with COVID the next year and, and, and essentially the, the residual effects of COVID in 21. Like this is really, it seems like almost the first time that, okay, we, we've built the relationships with these prospects over the last two and a half, three years. We've been able to get them on campus for unofficials, for officials. We've had them to camps. We know what they're about. They know what we're about. What's critical for Kansas State moving forward is that it builds off of this group. And I think K-State, if it's able to string together two or three more years of classes that are ranked inside the top 30, maybe get one that's in the top 15 or so in there, you could do it. And, and, and truth be told, it's possible. It's possible at a place like K-State. Think about what happens if Dylan Edwards and Josh Manning sign. This is absolutely a class that is knocking on the door of the top 20, probably even maybe a little bit higher. K-State's right there with these with this coaching staff. They are right there. That's why it is so paramount to build off of this momentum. And this is where historically you can't let what happened to those Snyder teams happen again, where Kansas State just failed to capitalize on the 2012 Big 12 title. All it really did at that point was really just say, we're going to ride Tyler Lockett and Jake Waters for a couple of years. And, and then we saw things kind of dip. And then even going all the way back to 2003, when K-State beat the best team of all time in Oklahoma and won the Big 12 championship. And then followed that up with a four and seven the next year and a five and six the year after that because the Wildcats were were swinging and missing in recruiting. They were taking chances on guys that didn't fit the program. Uh, they were losing quality assistance as well. You saw Brett Bielma leave. That was a tough blow to that staff. And they there were a number of other factors with with that transition period. Uh, with Snyder in 2003 to 2004, 2005, and what was happening in the Big 12 and around the country in college football. But K-State was just not getting the right guys in. And I don't have that same fear this time around. 
I think the fact that this group has been put together and compiled on the heels of what was an eight, eight and five year. And now you win the big 12 this year. Big things coming for this program. You just have to keep the momentum rolling and you have to keep getting that level of talent in the door. Next point I want to hit on here is Colin Klein. Uh, Again, this offense was sensational this season, uh, particularly after, again, things really opened up with Will Howard taking the reins and became one of the best uh, offenses in recent memory, was the best points-per-drive offense in the Big 12. Uh, You look at some of the aggregates that K-State put up here, uh, 5,863 total yards of offense. That was second most in school history. Very good balance this year as well. 2,908, uh, excuse me, 2,947 passing yards. That's sixth most in school history. 2,916 yards in rushing, fourth most in school history. 452 points scored by K-State, seventh in school history. The numbers kind of speak for themselves there in terms of what Klein and company were able to achieve. Now, what's the encore? What do you do that you lose now that you lose not only one of the school's most dynamic playmakers in Deuce Vaughn, but you also lose the safety blankets that you had at wide receiver in, in Malik Knowles, Cade Warner, and Phillip Brooks, all very, I think, underappreciated in the grand scheme of things in their overall careers at K-State. Uh, you lose Sammy Wheeler as well at tight end. Some decisions to be made as far as the offensive line goes. There's going to be a lot of questions surrounding K-State's offense heading into 2023. Now, I mentioned it. There's a lot of good incoming talent that I'm very excited to see early on in its career. Um, Keegan Johnson, the Iowa transfer, I think he's going to be a guy who comes in day one and is expected to contribute. Jaden Jackson, we saw him get some plays uh, and make a, a grab in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, the Ole Miss transfer there. Uh, I think that you do have some players at wide receiver. It's just going to be a question of how quickly those guys can can assimilate and how you can utilize those. Uh, the big question, though, is, is what do you do at running back now that you don't have this, this elusive water bug that is as strong as a tank, tough to bring down, tough to find? That's a big ask. And uh, I think Colin will really make himself some money if K-State is able to put up even remotely comparable production uh, this coming season. That'll be something we'll talk about here, Nutter and I, when we do kind of an off-season recap and we look at some, uh, uh, do a deeper dive into some of the numbers and what K-State was able to accomplish this year. But that's I, I, something I did just want to bring up here. What's going to be the story of the K-State offense now that Deuce is gone, Malik is gone, Adrian Martinez is gone, all those guys that I mentioned. What do you do next season? Big challenge for Colin Klein and company. Final item I'll hit on is just an overall thought about the trajectory of Kansas State's program. I am I am not at all deterred by the result against Alabama because frankly, Nick Saban, again, he's been doing this for a longer time and has been running a program, again, that is the standard in college football. It is a dynasty, the likes of which we haven't seen 
going back to the those Nebraska teams of the mid '90s, and, and this has surpassed that that Nebraska dynasty, that window in which Tom Osborne's teams were winning titles every other year. There, Alabama usurped that and then some. This team has won six titles and gone to nine national championship games since 2009. It, it, it is the standard in this sport. And I know Chris Kleiman and company had their work cut out for them going into that game. And I know they obviously would have liked to have seen a much more competitive game and a closer result, but I know they're also taking the steps necessary to bridge that gap. And, and in a weird way, we, we saw a great point of validation later on in the afternoon, that same day, that New Year's Eve, when TCU goes in and topples Michigan, a blue blood, uh, excuse me, a blue blood in its own right. We saw what K-State was able to do against TCU in both matchups. The Wildcats are not as far from that level as some might want to think or believe. And I touched on what I think K-State needs to do from a recruiting standpoint to, to continue to close that gap and get to a point where we are not just thinking about all these little dominoes needing to fall a certain way to beat the likes of a Michigan or to beat the likes of an LSU or Georgia or whoever it may be that will have a roster with the necessary talent to compete against those teams and go toe to toe with them for four quarters. I think the strategy just in terms of overall function of the program that Chris Kleiman is employing is the way it needs to be done now. There is this symbiotic trust that exists between Kleiman, his coordinators, the position coaches, the support staff, the players. Everybody knows and understands their role, their responsibilities, and it's not a dictator proposition where you're doing it to appease the head coach, the taskmaster. And I don't say that to be critical of Bill Snyder and the way that he did things. He had to be that way. The program needed that level of monitoring and oversight because of the preceding 100 years of ineptitude that came before Snyder's arrival. He needed to have his finger on the pulse of every little minuscule detail to get it to the level he expected it to be. But now we've taken that step forward. The Kansas State program is beyond that. The facilities are all there. The infrastructure is there. The NIL arm is there. Everything that is necessary to have a not just functional but competitive modern program, it's all in place. I don't take that for granted as a fan. I know that there was a lot of work that needed to be done, obviously, by Bill Snyder and company for the 30 years that preceded Chris Kleiman. There was a lot that needed to go into it to get it to this level. But now they're to a point where they're focusing on the right things moving forward. The currency in college football today is recruiting, and the guys are dedicating more time and energy into evaluating, identifying, and landing players who are capable of coming in and helping this team compete for Big 12 championships and earn spots in what will be an expanded playoff. 
and they're doing it without the barrier of you must come in and redshirt your freshman year. We expect you to accomplish X, Y, and Z your first three years within the program, and then maybe by the time you're a, a redshirt sophomore or a junior, you can split reps with this first team, or you might be in a position to start uh, depending on the other depth that we might have at that position. That doesn't exist anymore. This is much more liberal and getting guys in the door and giving them an opportunity to to play early in their careers. That's why you see a guy like VJ Payne balling out the last few weeks of the season and, and Jacob Parrish as well. And, and and some of that, yes, is a byproduct of injury, but these guys were were trusted to come in and play and and they responded. They reciprocated. They showed that they were ready and they were making plays in, in pivotal games for Kansas State. The, the final game of the season against the Jayhawks where the Wildcats had to win to get to the Big 12 championship, the Big 12 championship game itself. Young guys were coming in and making contributions. And again, being able to sell that in recruiting is huge. And I'm not trying to discredit the developmental side of this program either. I still have an immense amount of appreciation for what True Carroll has done and Everything that happens in terms of the support staff, the strength and conditioning folks, uh, the nutrition folks, they're all doing a great job. And there will still be plenty of those stories uh, of the not sought after Kansas kid who who comes in as a one, a one or two star, doesn't have any other high major offers, puts in the time in the weight room, becomes a film junkie and is making plays by the time he's a, a sophomore or junior. That story is not going to go by the wayside. That type of player is not going to go by the wayside. I think this staff, again, is going to still find that right blend of program guys, but I think they're, again, they're putting more time and effort into identifying the type of athlete who can come in and realistically play and contribute at a Big 12 Power 5 level. And I am all too excited to watch what happens with this group coming in in 23. This is this is really going to be, as I said, the first stepping stone, the first building block to see what this group can do and how we can continue to build off of that group. There are great things ahead for this program, and it's going to start with this 2023 class. I think I've talked long enough, so I'm going to go ahead and wind this one down. This was just a, a wonderful season. The Big 12 championship was obviously a tremendous accomplishment, but don't forget about the things that happened on in the buildup to the trophy, winning in, in Ames for the first time in a couple of years, Chris Kleiman finally getting over the hurdle and beating Mike Gundy in Oklahoma State for the first time as a, as a head coach, beating Baylor for the first time, the big upset victory in Norman, maintaining the stranglehold on the Governor's Cup. There were a lot of, of great moments that led up to that Big 12 championship victory over TCU and the birth in the Sugar Bowl. And again, I'm exceedingly bullish on this program and the direction it's heading. I'm very excited to see uh, what happens here in the coming years for Kansas State. We'll continue to cover the the team and the program here for you guys as we approach uh, signing day or the late signing day or the old uh, the old signing day, I should clarify here. We'll do a season recap episode for you guys, talk about some of the milestones, and, and again, we'll solicit for some, for some questions for y'all 
and, and, and tackle those as we get set to dive into the offseason here. So thank you guys very much for the download and the stream on whatever your preferred app is. Follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball if you haven't done so already. With all that being said, I'll wrap this one up the way that I always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know.